You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. If you've ever tried to build a community, you know how difficult it can be. And with virtual gatherings and meetings still outpacing in-person events, creating a community seems more challenging than ever. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. Balaje Oyedije is the Senior Director of Demand Generation for Bevy, a platform that helps businesses create unified communities from their disparate events like user conferences, webinars, and kickoffs. Balaji believes that when community is done well, it's the ultimate secret weapon for B2B marketers. While other marketers are selling to prospects and talking features, those who master the art of community are establishing relationships and building trust. And it even works on out-of-market buyers by building familiarity with your brand. So when it's time to buy, they come straight to you. And as the author of a series of children's books, Balaji knows a little something about secret weapons. Enjoy this one. I know I did. Balaji Oye DJ, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, Michael, uh, I'm impressed. First of all, we must be some kin because the way you said my last name, I'm pretty sure we grew up together. That was very <laughs> impressive. It's, we went uh, to separate schools together. <laughs> I love it. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, I am the Senior Director of Demand Generation at a great company called Bevy. We help companies build a community-led uh, strategy for their brands to drive ROI, to drive acquisition, to drive customer satisfaction. I've worked in demand gen and B2B for a couple of decades now, but I've also moonlighted as a children's book author. So go figure. Um, I'm ready and excited to get this going, Michael. There seems to be a battle brewing about the future of B2B events. Uh, you've got your online events, you've got your in-person events trying to make a comeback. You've got the hybrid event model that people have adopted out of necessity. You've got events that focus on video. You still have the largely slide-driven events. You've got audience participation on one hand. You've got on-demand events that cater to people who need to watch on their own time. Tell us about the idea of community-driven events and how Bevy stands out. I'm, I'm bewildered myself thinking through all of those things and especially living through the era that we are living through right now where we've probably interacted with all those different types of options uh, in the past year. But here's how we sort of think about it a little bit differently. We believe that all companies are essentially striving to provide a, a valuable product or service for their audience, for their customers. And they're trying to do it in a differentiated way where they can build uh, an affinity between themselves and their customers. Now, in the past, great brands have relied on having the best features, being the first to do X or Y or Z. But in the age of the internet, Michael, I mean, if you build a feature today, your competitors know about it tomorrow. By Friday, they've hired an engineer who's just as good as yours and ready to start building on Monday. In fact, they even use your R&D as a jump off point, right? Just to, just to speed up their cycle. Feature advantages may buy you six months, maybe 12 months, right? But, but you always are going to be on that hamster wheel. What about marketing? 
I mean, goodness, the age of madman, right? Uh, I'm a marketer myself. Like we love storytelling. We love to to jump into the conversation going on in our customer's mind and paint a picture of where we're trying to take them, right? But in the age of the internet, right? Attention is scarce, Michael. And, and distrust of corporate messaging is at an all-time high. There's misinformation everywhere. And so while us marketers are obsessing about the next campaign, uh, the copy, the colors, most customers are actively finding ways to filter us out. So it's hard to survive just on brilliant marketing alone. It pains me, Michael, as a marketer to say this, but brilliant marketing alone has a shelf life, okay? Just, just look at Super Bowl ads <laughs> as a case in point. Even, even with sales, right? We all wanna believe that we've got the best sales organization working for us. And for some of us, that is very true. There's some amazing salespeople that I've worked with over my couple of decades in B2B. But in the age of the internet, buyers are seizing control of the buying process, right? At least 70% of their research they're trying to do before they even speak to you, before they even send you an email or pick up the phone and say, okay, yes, Michael, uh, you know, now I'd like to talk sales. They've done 70% of the research. And so if you're relying on having the most brilliant salespeople, you still need those. We still, I love my counterparts in sales, but so much of the work is done before it ever gets to them. The challenge is that corporations need a, a defensible moat, right? A competitive advantage. And Bevy believes that community is actually the most defensible competitive advantage. Let me, let me elaborate on why, <laughs> let me unpack that, okay? Because that's sort of a, a shot across the bow and, and, and I, I don't want to make unfounded statements. We think that the community is the best way to create that competitive advantage, that uh, defensible moat. And the way to do that, the best way to build community, it's not by singing Kumbaya, sitting around a, a fireplace, although that sounds like a fun event. We think it's by having events, right? Community has been around for a while. We've had AOL IM, who remembers that? We've had forums, right? Forums are great for like the breadth of relationships. Who, who remembers Friendster and MySpace? I remember discovering friends from high school. It was great. All of this stuff is great. But events, an actual live interaction, as opposed to focusing on the breadth of, of, of community, they give you a depth. They give you a depth of relationship, which creates more affinity and ultimately more revenue for the company. The more rich we can make these interactions, the more affinity we create for our brands. Okay, so everybody's doing events, Michael. Everyone's having the big conference and the webinars and things. The challenge is most people are having one-off events. Okay, this event is separate from that event. The training is separate from the kickoff and separate from the summit and separate from the webinar, right? And so you, you have all this energy that goes into each event. And after the event, if you've ever run an event, there's exhilaration, there's relief, maybe some day drinking, <laughs> right? I'm just glad it's over, right? High fives, ooh, we got leads. And maybe this is gonna be a great month or even a great quarter for us. But then the rest of the year, now what? 
we, we got to start all over again, Michael. Why are we not creating a more unified experience where one event, after everybody makes their connections at that event, they actually have community out of that? If you think, Michael, back to pre-COVID, right? Think back to the last great live event that you went to, whether it was a large 10,000 person conference or maybe a 500 person networking event. I would, I would dare say that you might not remember three ideas that were presented on the stage, but I bet you, you remember deeply three conversations that you had with the people at that event. Highest quality events build community and these events have to happen year round, not just one off. So I say all that to say at Bevy, we believe that when we talk about community led events and having a community led strategy, again, this is not a kumbaya thing. All right. Everybody likes the word community, but in practice it, to business people, it might not seem strategic. This is very strategic. This is ROI focused. This is ones and zeros in a spreadsheet. And it is a defensible way to create an evergreen competitive advantage, connecting your customers and making that connection tie back to your brand. That is a community-led event strategy. And that's what we do at Bevy. All right. So we talked about how Product features are sort of a horse race, and sometimes you're ahead and sometimes you're behind, and your competitors are right there with you. But what does the Bevy platform provide for a marketing team as far as community-driven events? What are the features that bring value that I can't get really anywhere else? Yeah. I remember learning in school many years ago this concept of, of, of order qualifiers versus order winners. And this is relevant to all of us as business people. So just, just bear with me. Um, uh, my, my, my marketing professor will be thrilled to hear that I didn't waste my whole two years in business school. But order qualifiers, Michael, to answer your question, those are the things that are the table stakes. Like any vendor, any provider that you're going to consider has to have these five things, these seven things, these 10, those, those are the feature. You gotta have those. Okay, cool. So if you don't have all those right features, you don't even get considered. Once you have those features, though, and your foot's in the door, what makes people choose you? Those are the order winners. All right. So let me talk about our order qualifiers. What qualifies Bevy, first and foremost, to actually be considered in this large grand space of event uh, software providers? One of the problems that we solve, and, and this ties into a feature, uh, we had a customer, I had an executive at a Fortune 500 company uh, tell me recently, he said, we've got community, Balaji, we've got it, okay? We, we are subscribed to that idea, but our community is fragmented, okay? We need a way to cohere our entire community ecosystem. We, we almost want to unify identities across our communities. There's, there's the customer success uh, community. There is our annual conference community. We've got uh, you know, a global sales kickoff. We've got employee resource groups. These are all disparate things. He said, our customers aren't multiple personalities. How, how are we tying those together? That's one of the things that Bevy does. 
Bevy is painting this picture, the, the, the puck that we're skating toward, to use a Wayne Gretzky reference. For, for those of y'all who aren't too young to know that reference, the great Wayne Gretzky, we're skating toward where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is right now. Oh, so, one of the best sports analogies of all time. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's undefeated. <laughs> and, and, and the best brands, that this is what they do. They skate to where the puck is going to be. So at first, we don't get what they're doing until we get what they're doing. But at that point, everybody's doing it. Um, Google, Adobe, Slack, Twitch, what they're doing with community is unifying they're almost turning every one of their events into a community event. It's no longer a disparate event. So we, we're talking features. Bevy unifies all of your events and gives you, imagine this, a single view so that you can say, Michael went to this webinar last month. Then he attended uh, this networking event. Then he actually went to you know, one of our live events and we're tying all this data and insight together, your support tickets and so on. And now we have a more holistic view and can serve you a lot better. That's a vision that a lot of people, a lot of vendors are not going to have or even think about for maybe a few years down the road. But let me paint another picture for you. There, there was another, um, another person I was talking to, one of my customers lately, uh, recently rather, who said, we almost want to transition into community as a service, okay, so, to where, yes, we're selling, you know, Acme Incorporated, uh, you know, whiz bangs and, and products, but we want community to be part of every part of our experience, right? It's community as a service. So it's not yet integrated into everything that we do. We want to get there. This is something Bevy is helping a lot of these great brands like a Salesforce do as well. But, but this is the one that really got me, Michael. This is the one that got me. Uh, this, one, this one executive, she's, she's very colorful in her imagery. And, and she said, she, she asked me, have we all been misled? I was like, what are you talking about? She said, I've always been told that the holy grail, right, for events, the holy grail for brand building has been this arms race to, to, to have the biggest in-person event. Oh, we're now the biggest, you know, uh, fill in the blank industry event, right? She says, but we lost something along the way. And, and, and she said, when we got disrupted by the quarantine, by COVID, a lot of negative stuff obviously has come with this disruption. And it's been a very tough couple of years. She said a silver lining, if there is any, is that she was forced her employees were forced, brands were forced to go back to their roots. She said she found out that people, her customers, they wanted to connect both in big ways, like the big event, but in small ways too. People want, some people want to gather, like she actually said, she hates going to the movie theater. I'm like, you literally are not allowed to say that during a two-year quarantine. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you can't say that. She was like, I'm sorry. I love on a Friday night to get myself, get into my pajamas, get a glass of wine, curl up on the couch with my husband under a blanket, throw on Netflix, throw on HBO Max, and for two hours, just have a wonderful experience. And she's not alone. Be, you know, <laughs> she should be allowed to do that, right? 
Some customers want to connect in small ways. And some others of us, we want the line wrapped around the block. It's the Lord of the Rings or it's the, it's the Hunger Games, you know, or, or the latest Marvel movie. We want the excitement. We want the crowds. We want the big tub of popcorn that's, you know, going to give us a heart attack in 20 years or whatever. We want the full experience, Michael. We should be able to have that too. And what Bevy is able to do is it's able to not only provide the global sales kickoff for 100,000 uh, person companies or conferences for 200,000 people. It can also facilitate small and local networking events in thousands of cities around the world on the same day where people can connect in intimate ways. The large and the small. These are illustrations of the puck that we're skating toward and what we're actually doing for some of our best brands now. So speaking of your best brands, you guys on your website, you work with Google, you work with Splunk, Snowflake, you mentioned Salesforce. What types of organizations are your ideal customers? Mm, yeah, yeah, this is a good one. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Michael. A lot of times when if a marketer is asked this question, you know, uh, um, in the light of day, they're going to say, uh, everyone's my customer. The world is my oyster, Michael. I can say, and I asked the question because <laughs> I know in the light of day, everyone says everyone. But technology advice is in the lead gen business, and I see the filters they put on the leads they want to buy. Companies mm -hmm. of this size, job titles of this size. So, mm -hmm. who are those people for you? I love it. I love it. This is really important. This is a really important question for me as a marketer. And for Bevy as a brand, we're not for everyone. We're not trying to serve everyone. If we try to serve everyone, we're not going to serve anyone particularly well. So I'll paint a picture of some of the folks that we do serve really well. You mentioned a number of the larger brands that are out there, the Googles, the Salesforces. The way that we serve them, they are running multiple events. You can imagine that those companies have multiple brands, sub-brands. Each of those brands has an identity. Uh, each of those brands is trying to do multiple things um, as part of their, their bailiwick, as part of their area of responsibility. It's very difficult for them to have, for brand A to have five tools that they're using to run their events. Brand B to have a different set of seven tools. Brand C to have the three tool. We're able to unify not only within that one brand to say, Let's bring all of these things together and help your customers have a unified experience. We can give a unified view across all the brands within these large companies. So large enterprises who are having lots of events or want to have lots of events, they're a great use case for us. But that's not the only use case. We've got some pretty small organizations using us as well. I was digging through our data in Salesforce. We use Salesforce as our CRM. And I was interested to find that we serve uh, not-for-profits, we serve software companies, sometimes with employees as few as 30 people. And you might ask, you got 30 people. Why do you need community software? Are you kidding me? I'll tell you why. Think of a software company that doesn't have a lot of employees, but is actually building a developer group community around its software. It's got an, an open API or it's got an API that it wants people to contribute to. They might have a community of thousands of people despite their employee count. So 
depending on the use case, we could serve really large brands with multiple divisions who believe in the power of community and events, or we could serve smaller brands who also realize that community gives them a distinct competitive advantage. Finally, I'll point out that we're discovering more use cases. This is one of the wonderful things about being customer-led or by extension community-led. Customers are telling us how they want to use our software, okay? So recently, employee resource groups has emerged as an area where folks are saying, hey, listen, we've got all these people. There's multiple resource groups within our organization. They want to gather. They want to meet on an ongoing basis. Uh, we need a way to sort of tie identities across these different, how can we do that? Zoom is not going to do that for us. I love Zoom. My mom and I talk on Zoom every weekend. Hi, mom. Um, a couple of these other providers, they can give you the bits and the pieces, but they're not going to be able to kind of give you the full set of functionality and then the data that unifies the experience. They can't do that. So that sort of paints a picture of some different types of segments that we're able to serve really well. And the ways in which we serve them, Michael, again, we don't sit just on features. I've shared some features with you today. Um, three, four years from now, we'll probably have some competitors that have these features as well. But a big differentiator for Bevy is that we've got a community. If we didn't, that would be a problem. We've got a community called CMX, all right? It's a community for community managers. You guessed it, you guessed it. And we are constantly staying on the cutting edge by staying close to the community. We're constantly on the cutting edge of what works for you. What, you know, question we ask, what can we do to get you promoted? Okay, we're trying to get more community managers promoted. When, when CMX, the founder of CMX, his name is David Spinks, he's our VP of community, genius guy. Okay, when he first started building this organization, it was very hard to find people who had community in their title other than volunteers. Now, about four years later, we are seeing titles that say head of community, VP of community at some of the largest brands in the world. So CMX is trying to create more of those people, help those people win. And Bevy is a small part of helping those people bring a community-led strategy to their organizations. To close, we can serve large enterprises. We serve really small enterprises that have a community around them. And we're finding more and more use cases where customers are saying, we need Bevy to enable what we're trying to do here. All right, so we've talked about some of the products and features. We've talked about some of the companies you work with. Let's dive a little further into the marketing now because we've had other event platform folks on the show. We know that events are a crowded space, increasingly noisy space. What's been your most effective marketing tactic over the last six months or a year? And what's the message that's resonating with people? Listen, I know we're friends, but you're trying to, you're trying to get me to give away the goods, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love it. For you, Michael, for you, Michael, I'm going to give away the goods. All right, cool. So there's a few things that have worked for us at Bevy. Um, and I should sort of give the caveat to say um, a lot of times people will share uh, uh, in conversations like this on webinars, you might find, you know, extensive blog posts or YouTube videos, they'll give you tactics all day. And the thing about tactics is, one, 
they're dependent on it's like a it's like a chemistry experiment okay it's dependent on what else is in the environment when you implement that tactic okay so let's give that disclaimer um two the challenge with tactics is that when they work you're going to have people copying them really quickly and so the efficacy is going to is going to start to drop so yes you want to continuously experiment to find new tactics but the underlying foundations or principles really matter. So for Bevy, what helps people to get Bevy is when they experience Bevy, all right? So I could tell you, man, Bevy has these great features. Bevy solves those problems. You know, we'll, we'll do your taxes for you. We'll toast your bread. We'll make your bed and all this good stuff, okay? Experiencing it is what works. So we've, uh, we've got a dynamic field marketing manager. Her name is Marsha Drucker. All right. She also runs a podcast. All right. And she is really good at getting close with the customer in each of our target segments. Let's say uh, ERGs, employee resource groups, as an example, finding out, you know, just sort of listening. This is an underrated marketing skill. Mike, I know you know this underrated skill, just sort of listening empathically. You know, what's keeping you up at night? What's got you frustrated? Where are you stuck? Where do you wish you could be? And then facilitating conversations, okay? If, if listening is one underrated skill, Michael, the ability to facilitate connections and conversations is another. This is both things that Marsha does really well for us. And the importance of doing that, being able to listen then facilitate, is that Listen, we don't have all the answers. We don't pretend. That's a lot of pressure. I don't, I don't need that kind of pressure. I don't have all the answers, all right? I, I'm a parent. I've got an 11-year-old. He asks me why 20 times a day, okay? So I do not have all the answers. What I do have is the ability to say, I noticed that X, Y, and Z are a struggle for you. Let me connect you to these 12 other people also struggling with X, Y, and Z. Let's get in, into a room together. Let's meet on a regular, a semi-regular basis. You mean Let's, have a community? Oh, oh, don't go throwing big words at me, Mike. There's don't that word go. again. <laughs> don't go throwing big words at me, man. Like, for, actually, look, we haven't talked anything about the product. We're obsessing about the customer. I actually was listening to B2B Nation and you had a recent uh, episode where the guest, but forgive me, I don't recall his name, was talking about the importance of obsessing over uh, customers instead of obsessing over competitors. And the way to obsess over customers is to be in community with those customers. So if as a marketer, every time I talk to my customer, I'm like, uh, hey, I got a product, you wanna buy it? They're like, no. I'm like, are you ready now? No. Okay. Are you ready now? No. Are you ready now? No. Good Lord, it's annoying. If on the other hand, I'm like, hey, Michael, how's it going, man? You know, how's that, um, how's that weed whacker you bought the other day? How's, you know, I, I know you've been working on your garden. How's it going? Did you get rid of the mites? Uh, you know, how's the weather? And, and we start vibing on the thing that you care about. What am I doing? I'm entering this. This is what we do with our field marketing. All right. I, I wouldn't, people don't write stuff down anymore. You might want to put this in your Evernote. We are entering the conversation already going on in the customer's mind. So instead of me interrupting you, Michael, and saying, hey, I know you were watching your favorite show. I know you're watching Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones. I've got this dynamic ad. I spent a lot of money on it. Give me 30 seconds. I'm jumping in and I'm sitting on the couch with you. I'm eating out of your popcorn box. 
And I'm like, dang, I can't believe they just did that. And we're, we're watching the show together, Michael. We're talking about the show. We're building community. But along the way, we're doing this inside of our platform, inside of Bevy. And so people are experiencing the benefits instead of me telling them about the benefits. Experience is so much more of a visceral uh, way to talk about your product than talking about your product. We've seen that work really well because it's a low pressure way to move somebody through the buyer's journey. We're, we're, look, we still, if we don't keep the lights on, if I don't sell something at the end of the day, Michael, I'm out of a job, you know, everybody's out of a job. So we still got to sell. So let's not may have any illusions about that. But if you've ever sat through a timeshare presentation, Michael, then you'll know that while people love to buy, very pe few people love to be sold to. Okay, I want to be in control of the conversation. Uh, I want to ask you the questions when I want to ask them. And when I ask, I'd like the answers to be readily available, but I really would love for you to not beat me about the head and shoulders about how great your product is, because that's what the other guys are doing too. And I'm having to fend them off. But if you sit next to me on my couch, we're eating popcorn, we're talking about the show together. Six months from now, Michael, when I need to buy whatever product it is, who's coming to mind? That's what's and worked for me. <laughs> That's what's working, <laughs> working for Bevy. So it's not, you're like, okay, well, what's the tactic? How do I, were, well, were you talking about, you know, watching Netflix with the customers? No, that was just a really bad analogy. But get the foundational beneath it though. We're entering the conversation already going on in the customer's mind. We're obsessing about what they care about, okay? And then we're walking alongside them. We've got the solution to fix their problems. But sometimes they don't wanna to be told that, they wanna be led, they wanna walk with someone almost like a, a Sherpa as opposed to being dragged to the water and being forced to drink. So I'm gonna walk alongside my prospect and they're gonna experience my product. And when their, their exec, when their CEO or their CMO says, you know what, we need a solution for figuring out our next conference, figuring out our summit, they're like, I got just the person for you. That's what's working for us. And so this is a good time to point out that December 9th, Demand Fest, our four times a year gathering of marketers, I'm actually going to be doing a session about how to reach out of market buyers so they Talk know who me. you are when you're ready to buy. Talk to me. I love it. I love it. I love it. But, but, but look, look at what he did, though, folks. Look at, look at the relevance <laughs> look at the set come on give the man we didn't we didn't rehearse this we didn't the rehearse segue this. the segue i'm feeling it i love it so it is your job to help grow the business at bevy what is it you need we've developed all this marketing technology and performance marketing and data and reports and all this stuff is there something you wished you had at your disposal that you don't have you know i'm glad you asked um, we, at the time of this recording, uh, Christmas is, you know, right around the corner and you know how it is, Michael, um, and you know how it is in America. It's not yet Halloween, <laughs> but Christmas is indeed around the corner. Exactly. Exactly. So listen, yeah, it's April and Christmas is around the corner, but, um, look as the dad of the family, I I've got two kids, two boys. They're wonderful. You know, everybody, everybody's telling me what they want. Nobody's asking what dad wants. And if they do get dad, something it's a tie. And, I, and I, it's a quarantine going on. What am I going to do with another tie, Michael? So thank you for asking me what I would like 
uh, under my Christmas tree, Michael. Here is my list. You ready for this? I would like, Michael, more time and space for human connection. Let me, let me unpack that before, okay, don't tune out. Let me unpack it because ironically, the thing that's missing for a lot of us B2B marketers is the time and space to get closer to the customer. Let me actually flip it and explain it from the other side of the coin. Wouldn't it be amazing? I've got this product to sell you, Michael. Wouldn't it be amazing to, to, to be able to get deep customer insights anytime you wanted it? Um, um, customers transparently telling you where it hurts, what frustrates them, what they have coming down the pipeline and when. Marketing tech, right, has given us intent data. It's given us a Google search with a billion results. It's given us cookies and, and, and attribution software. We've got business databases, you know, Zoom Info and the others with billions of data points on our target audience. You know, there's marketers out there that could, they know how much I owe on my credit card and what my credit score, they know all that more than I know about myself. We've got all this tech and all this data to infer and predict what our customers and prospective customers are feeling, when they're feeling it, what's important to them and so on. What if they just volunteer the information, Michael? Like, like, like just told us. You get that through community. Now community isn't just a forum. Community isn't just a Zoom session. Community is trust. It, it, it's, it's genuinely prioritizing the customer's needs, not as a tactic, not as an experiment, but just, just as a simple like principle, just simple matter of fact. This is just how we do business. It's why people buy shoes from Zappos. It's why my kids crave Chick-fil-A even on Sundays. It's why people will form uh, communities spontaneously around like, like the Disney brand and not around your local state fair, right? So, so how can you get that X-ray vision into your customer's mind? This is practical stuff. We're talking higher funnel conversions all the way from the top of the funnel with the ads all down to sales conversations. How do you get that? It's making more time for community and connection. That's not always easy as a B2B marketer, but for the best of the best, it's essential. Before I hit you up with the last question, pitch a children's book to me. <laughs> what have All you right. written? What have you written? Let me, let, let, me, let me pitch it to you. So, 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 so let's pretend, Michael, you are, um, you're, you're a big uh, Hollywood exec, and I'm, I'm trying to pitch this for a movie. All right. So, Michael, um, let me do my best movie, movie, movie uh, theater voice in a world. I was going to say that. I'm sorry. Growing up in Nigeria, I was stricken with social anxiety. I was just one of those kids who was painfully, pain, I'm talking about painfully shy, right? And it just sort of plagued me throughout my, my childhood and teenage years. And I thought I would never grow out of this. The one thing that gave me hope was comic books, American comic books. I thought I was Peter Parker. Yes, a white kid from Queens, New York. I thought I was him. <laughs> okay. Um, because Peter Parker was the kid that got picked on uh, during the day 
But at nighttime, he was picking up the same people that picked on him. And I said, okay, I don't know what my abilities are. I can't shoot webs. I don't have a spidey sense. But one day I'm going to discover what makes me special. And when I do, Michael, I'm going to use that to help people. Okay, so fast forward a couple of decades. Now I'm a parent. Now I've got sons, right? And I'm realizing that some of the, a couple of, I only have two sons, they both have to varying degrees, that same sort of introversion and, and shyness and social anxiety that I had. And I was like, I don't want them to wait a couple of decades to get comfortable in the skin that they're in. You, you know what I mean? So I started to write these books when my first son was three years old. And I made these superheroes, just like the, the Stan Lee superheroes that inspired me as a little young kid growing up in a Nigerian city. And I said, I want all my superheroes to be kids, Michael. And I said, I want all my superheroes to only have one power because Superman is overpowered, but that's another story. So every kid only gets one power. You choose one. But here's the kicker. Here's the differentiator, Michael, in the books that I wrote. Every hero also had an Achilles heel, a kryptonite, a thing that made them feel weak, that made them feel less than everybody else. And that thing never went away, Michael. Remember that social anxiety that I talked about? As an adult, you know, obviously, you know, I talk a lot now. <laughs> so I've worked through a lot of it, okay? But there are some situations in which I'll still feel that. And I had to teach my kids that it's not about getting rid of that thing that makes you weak. It's about finding a way to not just survive, but thrive while living with that same thing. I ended up writing 50 superhero books, Michael, all based on this premise of what happens if you felt broken, but still had to save the world. I wrote 50 books, sold over 300,000 copies, traveled around the world, talking at schools and at school conferences, and did a TEDx. But the thing that mattered most to me about all that, Michael, was my kids getting to see their dad stand on stage and talk about what made him weak and how he turned that struggle into a strength. My, uh, the payoff for me was getting my kids to see me meeting Stan Lee in person, rest in peace, a couple of years before he passed away, and him telling my kids, wow, your dad's work is awesome. All of that came from obsessing about your customer, which in my case was me or kids like me. Um, so imagine now somebody else trying to write children's books, and they haven't gotten that deep customer obsession. They're like, I'm going to write kids customer books. It's going to hit different, Michael. It can't hit the way my books hit because, because I'm obsessed about this particular scenario. So anyway, I'm sorry for tying a marketing lesson into that. The books that I wrote are called <laughs> Brave Young Heroes, but I'm obviously, in addition to being a superhero nerd, I'm very much still a marketing geek. So I end up relating everything to marketing. It really annoys my wife. I will close on that. <laughs> All right. So real quick, because we're two introverts who have now been talking for almost 45 minutes. What is your favorite tool? What is the one thing you use almost every day you can't work without? Oh, okay. So this, this will sort of tie together a lot of what I've talked about. I thought about uh, this question a lot, Michael, and I said, maybe I should say um, my podcast app, because I love to listen to thought leaders in my industry. Uh, okay, you know, a lot of people are going to say that one. Maybe I should say Evernote. 
right? Because I love to jot my ideas down and it's like, goodness, can't live on my Evernote. Oh, a lot of people probably have said that. So I got to give him something different. I got to come correct from Michael. I got to give him the extra. The thing that ties all this together for me, Michael, is storytelling, is fiction, the consumption of fiction. For me, storytelling is undefeated. There is uh, there's an author called Joseph Campbell. And back in the 50s, the late Joseph Campbell, back in the 50s, he wrote this book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it essentially studied myths uh, throughout uh, human civilization. And it found sort of these 12 beats that every myth, mythological story would, would go through. And you see it in your favorite Hollywood movies today. They all follow that script, right? As marketers, it would serve us well. Like, how are you going to tell stories better than Hollywood or Netflix or Apple TV? They're all using that formula, right? So I started using that formula, the hero's journey, in my marketing. And Michael, it is like magic because you're able to, instead of centering the story, instead of centering your marketing around your brand, you center it around your customer as the hero of a journey. And you position your customer, not as someone who is at the top of the mountain, right? You, yeah, yeah I know you want to gas them up with the marketing and everything. Not, not that. You're positioning it as, okay, you're at the beginning of your journey. I'm the Sherpa. I'm, I'm the advisor. I'm the helper but the story is not about me. I'm going to give you a couple of tools, a couple of weapons. I'm Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, and I'm going to send you out on your journey. Now, it ain't going to be easy, Michael. There's going to be snakes. There's going to be gargoyles, okay? There's going to be orcs. <laughs> there's going to be fill in the blank. But if there's one thing, and let me close with this. If there's one thing that we all enjoy about a story, a good story, is that in the end, Michael, we win. And Michael, if you can put your customer in the middle of a story where there is a tempest to the left and there's a hurricane to the right and they don't know if they're going to make it to the next step, but you paint the picture that I know where you are right now, but in the end, you win, you're competing in a marketplace of one. And that is the most powerful thing as a marketer you could develop. I hope that was helpful. Absolutely. We've been talking about storytelling here and playing it more in our own story at Technology Advice. I have consumed just about everything I could find on the topic, I feel like, business storytelling. And the one, you, know, you try and sum it up for people, the one person who I think summed it up beautifully is George Hammer, former chief content officer at IBM. You have to make people care. Stories mm -hmm. make people care. There's so much noise, so many messages out there. You have to be the one that makes people care. Wow. Bolaje Oyejide. Thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. I promise you, Michael is my cousin. That's the only way he could say that name. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> this was fun. <laughs> Thanks to Bolaje Oyejide for appearing on B2B Nation. And if you're curious, he did say yes to Demand Fest. So join us on December 9th to hear more about marketing to out-of-market buyers. Thanks to the Technology Advice team, Amy Dunn, Sarah Sanders. Speaking of saying yes, congratulations, Sarah. Our secret weapon, Emily Whalen and KJ Pace. Here's Mnemonics in the Guild to see you out. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.